Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God and uh, and His righteousness and what it looks like. In the last show, we talked a little bit about the opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion of uh, who Christ is, and uh, and you should have an opinion as to who Christ is and, and what He was teaching and what the church should look like. Everybody should have an opinion about that. But your opinion should be constantly be re-examined by yourself. And uh, it would be wise to re-examine your opinion with others because uh, multitude of counselors um, can be very valuable. And so that you, you, because you can have a tendency to look at things from a certain perspective and it may be a limited perspective. So, if, you know, like when you're, when kids are in school and, and, and going into, uh, upper grades and, and, uh, studying, it was always, uh, handy. I noticed if you studied together in a group that, well, I wouldn't say it's always handy. If you actually are studying, it's handy. <laughs> but if you study in a group because, uh, some kids will notice certain things or uh, share certain things that will help you interact on the subject back and forth talk back and forth and you get a better grasp uh, a better command of the subject when you study in a group and so you should not forsake the gathering together and study to find out and hone and correct and expound upon and expand your opinion of christ god and his church and what that actually looks like. And so that's what we do a lot of times. We share our opinions about history. And, of course, we have lots of footnotes. So you can see that our opinions are not alone. We go and look a lot of different places. And because we believe in the multitude of counselors can help you get a wider and a clearer perspective of what Christ was saying, why he was saying it, you know, in the context of when he said it. So that you can uh, actually strive to seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Find out what that actually would look like. How that would operate. And uh, you have your opinion. I have my opinion. And we should be able to interact and discuss those opinions. Hopefully to come to a clear understanding of Christ's opinion. Because Christ's opinion is what the church is. It's what God's opinion is. It's one with God. So, the, we look out and we see 40,000 different denominations plus, and we have to come to the conclusion that uh, some of them might be wrong. <laughs> so, it's a good guess that some of them are wrong and incorrect. And misleading. And if you take into consideration all the things that Christ said, warning us that the whole world would be deceived, and that many will come in my name, but they don't even know me, and they are actually workers of iniquity, then, you know, it becomes more and more apparent 
that uh, we could be fooled. We could be deceived. We could be in danger of not knowing, not understanding uh, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet thinking that we do understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, that's that's why we should be gathering, is to challenge, you know, our perception of Christ, of Jesus, of the gospel that he came and shared with us at the cost of his life and a great deal of suffering and sacrifice. He was trying to teach us something. No greater love hath a man than to lay down his life for his fellow man. And so, anyway, I really recommend that everybody join the network. I really recommend that in joining the email network at preparingyou.com or org, eventually, you know, it will show you how you can get onto the different uh, groups based on geography. And then with that geographical groups, then you can start to connect with other people uh, in your state, maybe in your city, maybe even on your block if you're lucky. And the more people that gather and continue to gather, strive to gather, don't just suddenly say, oh, I'm leaving because you guys don't say it exactly the way I want to say it. See, what we do a lot of times with our opinion is we create another denomination. And when people are out there looking for a denomination or a church, they're looking for people that have their opinion, their same opinion. But what... But Christ was actually going to Romans, Samaritans. Uh, I mean, he was going and talking to prostitutes and tax collectors and and uh, meeting with Pharisees. Even at night, secretly, he'd meet with Pharisees from the Sanhedrin. And um, he was meeting with all these people. And he, he told us what the criteria would be in, in quite a few different uh, places he's talking about you know you had to be a doer of the word you know i just gave you in the previous shows uh last week you know the example of the um, uh, parable of the two sons that told his sons to go do this one said yes the other said no the one that said yes that's all you christians out there who say yes i believe in jesus i believe in christ i believe in the gospel but you don't go and do what he said uh, and so, then he talks about the other son who says, oh, I, 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 I quit church. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm just so disappointed with the pastor. And the people are all hypocrites. They're always gossiping about each other. Uh, and, and it really, it's not rewarding. I, I, I'm not going. But then they go out and do kind things and forgiving things to other people. And, uh, they share. And they, they, you know, like the Good Samaritan, they, they take care of the people that are beat up in the ditch. And sometimes they take care of the ministers who get beat up in the ditch. Um, which one gets into the kingdom? The one that said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus, but did not do what Jesus said to do. Or the one who, said, you know, I don't believe in this church anti stuff. I'm not going to be a part of a church. 
but they actually go out into other associations with other people that actually do with things like what the Good Samaritan did. They get they give drink uh, to those that are thirsty. They give food to those that are hungry. Now, it's not, you know, when Christ tells tells a parable about the guys who gave, you know, because you gave me drink when I was thirsty, but you gave me food when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was in jail, and you come in and they say, when did we do these things? What was his answer? Was it when you did them to anybody out there, the homeless and the people in the streets, you did it unto me? Is that what he said? No. What he said is when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it also to me. It's not, it's not about just feeding everybody who's homeless. And everybody who's down on their luck. Now, I, I don't know who you should be feeding and who you should be taking care of and who you should be providing for and who you shouldn't. I, I don't know. And you may not know. You probably can't do it for everybody because there's an awful lot of them out there. And we know that if you did it for some that were just being slothful, you know, they're taking drugs at night and instead of working and then they need somebody to feed them when they finally come out of their drug stupor and they, they're hungry. They've been selfish their whole life and they've been lazy their whole life and you're out there busting your rear end to feed them and house them and take care of them. And they continue to be lazy and irresponsible. That's not the guys that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about his brethren. Now who is his brethren? He tells you that too. It's in there. It's in the text. He's telling you, but people aren't listening. His brethren are not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And even when his own family was outside, and they said, your, your family's outside. And he says, he who does the will of my father is my brother and my sister, my brethren and my mother. So you can't just help anybody. You go out and give 10 bucks to a guy standing on the corner. You hand it out your car window because he's got a sign that says he needs help. You think you just help the poor and the needy and that you're going to be blessed by Christ. No. Maybe Christ is saying you did a stupid thing. You shouldn't have given that guy 10 bucks. Maybe you should. I don't know. You need to make sure you're doing the right thing with your charity. Well, how do you do that unless you get to know who you're giving it to? Maybe you were divinely inspired to give that ten bucks out the window. Hard to say. It, it's really hard to say from, from a radio. Because every instance, every situation is different. You know, how do you know what to do for those in your own family? Should you pay their tuition to college? Maybe they shouldn't go to college. <laughs> Maybe they should be doing something else. Should you, uh, you know, uh, co-sign for their car? Maybe you shouldn't co-sign for their car. Maybe you should. 
It's it's a, every situation is different. How will you know without the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you get the Holy Spirit? How, can you conjure up the Holy Spirit? Can you jump through this hoop and jump through that hoop and do this thing and do that thing and then you get the Holy Spirit? I told you last week about somebody who was a part of a church and he kept thinking that God was not favoring him so he kept giving more and more money to the church until he didn't have enough money for his own rent and he got canned out of his house. His whole fam- family at the last minute had to move to another place that was not nearly as nice and not that much cheaper. And he's still going to be faced with the fact that he he still has this paranoia that he hasn't done enough. But he doesn't know what he should do because he's going to the wrong church. <laughs> he's got the wrong denomination. But he doesn't want to admit that he's got the wrong denomination because he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. Because he, you know, it's it's like one person said when they saw that this happened. They said, this is going to end one of two ways. And they're both bad. Well, not if he repents. Not if he was willing to see. What? Not if he comes with a humble heart. And say, says the prayer of the uh, publican. You know, what? what was the prayer of the publican? You can look that up, I'm sure. Find out what what was the publican saying? What was his prayer? You know, so, uh, you know, to God. H- how was he approaching his love for God? So, anyway, what is it that uh, we should be doing to receive the grace of Christ? Now, you notice I didn't say, what should we doing to earn the grace of Christ? Very clear that Christ made a big deal out of the fact that we should be doing and not hearers only. And so, what should we be doing? What would that look like? What would the early church be telling us? You know, I can't tell you what you should be doing and uh, what you could be doing. Exactly. But uh, it's clear that Christ said, uh, you know, told everybody they had to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It's clear that uh, he was trying to organize the people. He appointed groups of people like the 70. And, uh, you know, which was his, his Sanhedrin. There was a Sanhedrin that had been appointed by Salome years and years before and it had come down and it had become kind of like the legislature of Judea passing laws and regulations and setting up uh, social welfare systems through the uh, the Pharisees and who happened to hold political office at that time in this this Sanhedrin that was created by Salome and it had set up a social security system based on forced offerings and, you know, once you signed up, you had to pay in. And there were guys who went around, Gabi and Molokai, who would collect the funds. And these funds would pass up eventually into the temple and go into the temple treasury, which was also called, uh, there was actually two treasuries. There was the royal treasury. And then there was the Corbin treasury, the, Cor- the Corbanos, the, the stuff, the money that was supposed to be used for the poor and needy of society. And to some degree, we were to imagine that these were separate funds, but the reality is that the king was the overseer of all these funds. 
And he, and of course he didn't go in and count them all the time, but he was the overseer of who was responsible for those funds. And he could fire them at any time he wanted. I mean, this was a government. It had always, Israel had always been a government, except for before they got a king, they were operating by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. And everyone had to tithe, which was like paying taxes. Uh, but you decided who to tithe to. You you gave to your minister in those tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You and then that minister would give to his minister, and so there would always be some money or funds or you know some people said it was never in money; it was always in commodities. Well, no, it was in money too, because money is just a commodity. If you were a miner, see that we actually had somebody believe that you you didn't have to tithe. If you didn't produce any agricultural products. (laughs) But that's, of course, absolutely ridiculous. If you were a potter, you didn't have to, you didn't have to tithe. Because you only make pots. You don't actually produce an agricultural product. If you were a weaver, tent maker, none of those people had to tithe. None of those were responsible for tithing, according to that logic or lack of thereof. It's just, it's, it's absurd. You know, bookkeeper. He doesn't have to tithe because he's just a bookkeeper. He doesn't have any. He doesn't produce any agricultural products. <laughs> so, but this is how when people start making up rules, you know, that you have to use this calendar and you have to dress this way and you have to take this day off and you know when they start making up all these hoops that you have to jump through in order to be associated with them. To be in their denomination. Their opinion formulates their denomination. They're, they're the denomination of Steve. <laughs> or the, the denomination of Bob. You know, and then you don't have 40,000, you have 400,000 denominations. And of course they don't want to say the denomination of Bob, so they say, you know, I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a Jehovah Witness, or a Catholic, or a Presbyterian, or a Seventh-day Adventist, or I, you know, I'm a, I'm in this synod or that synod or whatever, because they want to, they want, they, and they look for other people who are also members of that, and together they mutually justify themselves. Now, they may do some good things, but that isn't the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God. It's not the denomination of Christ. It's the denomination of their opinion. But again, go back to what Christ said. Who is my brethren? Who is doing the will of the Father? Now, that's where you go back to Christ. There was someone I knew way back uh, when I was a young guy, before I got married. And uh, she Christmas was a big thing with her. Really big thing. She was Irish Catholic. And uh, she would borrow money to buy gifts for everybody in her family. And her friends and everybody. And she was still paying that credit card debt off. Before the next Christmas. 
But that was her goal always, is to get it paid off by next Christmas. And then she'd do it again. <laughs> so you know who got the biggest Christmas gift? Credit card company. <laughs> They're the ones that got the biggest gift. You know, it's like I was talking last week, is they... They were raising, they've already raised $20 million, uh, mostly on that little photograph on the front of Time magazine. Although a lot of other press hype, I'm sure, contributed to it. $20 million to help out all these illegals that are being detained on the border, borders who are coming across. And so everybody who contributes to that, they think, oh, we're helping them out. Except for the, this money is all going to a legal defense fund where lawyers will go down and represent these people. Now, I have no idea how hard they'll work. I have no idea how good of lawyers they are. Nobody else seems to either. But I can tell you this. They're going to be making lawyer wages. and <laughs> not going to be doing this for $20 an hour. They're going to need to go down and stay there. They're going to need apartments. They're... They're, oh, they're going to need cars. They're going to need, uh, you know, lawyer wages. They're going to be making six figures. And uh, they'll just do that till the money runs out. You know, maybe they'll get some more people to be sucker enough to send them money. The people who are going to profit from this more than anybody else is not going to be the people who are coming across the border and incarcerated. It's going to be the lawyers and staff who are going to get full-time wages day in, day out to do same old, same old. And it's really not going to solve anything except for their bottom line. And people are just falling for it. They have no idea what the, you know, because they're all emotionally driven by the news. But see, the kingdom of God, it, you're, you are to supply some serious oversight in the care of the needy of your society. That's the way it has to work. That's, that's what it's all about. And if you don't do that, if you don't have that oversight, and you get that with the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, you don't get that in a megachurch, you have no idea what's going on. But anyway, we'll talk more about this when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're still talking about this, and I'm still having difficulties. <laughs> but anyway, we're uh, we're going to talk about more about what the Kingdom of God looks like on an everyday basis. And it doesn't look like what we're seeing the modern church doing. And, uh, you know, I've looked at, I originally started the idea of the network way back when I was seeing home churches, because home churches is what the early church was doing. There was an element of home churches. They were meeting in homes. They weren't building big cathedrals. They weren't building big churches. Uh, they didn't all have bands uh, and uh of course, big screen TVs and all those kinds of things. Uh, they were fellowships, but they had a, an actual agenda and responsibility to practice pure religion, which would be taking care of the needy of their society, the widows, orphans, and other needy of their society. And the reason why they mention widows and orphans so much and why we do 
is because generally most of the welfare in society, most of the assistance in society that individuals will receive in a Christian society is received through the family. Because by doing it that way, the family is strengthened. The The relationships of the family are strengthened. They have to take care of their parents so that their days will be long upon the land because... And, and I just recently had somebody was saying this, that they had to be taking care. They weren't actually saying it, but a, a minister was reporting that uh, they saw these kingdom tracts where somebody was taking care of their mother who was senile and, and having some Alzheimer problems. And, uh, and it was, you know, a 24-7 job. And she, but she took it on and she was doing it, taking care of her mother. And her husband was helping her with that, you know, and accepting of that uh, trial and difficulty. And she said she wanted to do it because she wanted her own kids to see that this is what we needed to do. And it was just written on her heart to do this. She didn't have anybody making her do it. She chose to do it. And, but she's also... You know, in hopes that her days will be long upon the land because her kids will help take care of her. Now, you know, the, the, the mother is actually getting social security, so they're probably getting aid still from the government. Could, could we do this everywhere without any aid from the government? Without the, the, the Corbin of the government? You see, we could only do that if we form this other government, this kingdom of God. And you can only form the kingdom of God if you sit down in tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. But you can't just sit down alone. You have to sit down not only with other people, but with the Holy Spirit. You have to come into one accord with the Spirit of Christ, who came to serve, not just to be served. So this is, this is all part of this gospel of the kingdom. I've actually put, uh, more information. We have a link to called gospel of the kingdom. And I, I've put more information there as to what the gospel of the kingdom curtails and what it's all about so that, uh, you can, uh, get a clearer picture of what the church was actually doing and and how it was working and and what this you know John the Baptist said it so clear you're supposed to be living by charity not by forcing people to provide you with free bread you know and then free education for your kids and and free care for your parents saw somebody again posting that they're trying to take that they, they one of the things they said was uh, the government wants to call social security payments a federal benefit and the person says it's not a federal benefit it's our money no it's not <laughs> it's not your money it's money you had to pay in it's not an investment it's not like you went and took money and invested it in some stocks or a business or whatever I'm not advising anybody to invest in stocks. I remember Catherine Austin Fitz was saying, you want to invest in stock, then invest in the local butcher shop <laughs> or a local farm. 
you know, uh, loan him money so that he doesn't have to go to a regular bank. You can give him a better interest. You, you loan him money so he can buy better equipment and do better farming. Go out there and get involved in his farm. And then if things get bad, he will welcome you because he's going to need more help. <laughs> you will have, you will have somebody who knows how to produce food as your bosom buddy. You know, don't, don't invest in these stock markets on the other side of the country that, that uh, could go belly up and all you get to do is call them up and say, what happened to all my money? Well, that stock crashed, you know. But people are always tempted to go into these kinds of ridiculous um, projects and uh, or investments and uh, it, you end up getting into more and more trouble when you do it. Uh, somebody, I came across a, a website called uh, Luke 10 and uh, I guess they abbreviate it uh, but I won't say how because I'm still investigating it. But I thought, okay, so what's in Luke 10? <laughs> So, so I, I don't know the Bible always by numbers, so I have to actually look it up. And it says, after these things, the Lord appointed over, uh, appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place. So they they were going out to represent Christ before Him, because now Christ is going around to a lot of places, but He says. He appointed these guys. Now, why did he appoint 70? They say 70 right there. And we've talked about this. We've done some shows on it. But this is what the Sanhedrin was. This They were 70. and But it wasn't like the Sanhedrin of um, Salome. It wasn't like the Sanhedrin that was operating then in Judea. That was all apostasy. It was all much, much different than the Sanhedrin of Moses. Moses had appointed a Sanhedrin as well. Back in the Old Testament. And, you know, you could, uh, you can go read about that. You can go read about it on our site. We have lots of notes to help you understand what that's all about. But he talks about, go your way. I send you forth as lambs amongst wolves, carrying neither purse nor script nor shoes, and salute no man by the way and into whatsoever house first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. These people were blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit before they left. When he appointed them, they were actually given power of the Holy Spirit. And they were actually amazed when they came back, they were saying that, you know, miracles were happening. They were astounded at what they learned and what they had. Of course, Christ didn't just pick anybody. He picked certain ones and 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 gave them this power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and recently, actually just this last week, I put up uh, some footnotes on Acts 19, uh, preparing you. In in those notes uh, about Acts 19, I talk about this power, because Acts 19 talks about this power of the Holy Spirit, was a real power that could actually be granted from like Paul to somebody else, like Peter to somebody else. 
and they've been manifest these powers to heal people and drive out demons. So, w- what exactly is that? How are you? How are you healing people? How are you making them well? You know, I, I've talked before about Royal Rife. He actually created uh, frequency generating equipment. And he noticed that certain viruses were affected and even bacteria were affected by certain frequencies. And he was supposedly, under studies supervised by people of the AMA, had numerous cancer patients and and other patients uh, that they treated with these frequencies. And they were healed. Every one of them got better within a few months of the beginning of the treatment. And then he was plagued with lawsuits and all those kinds of things. But, yeah, I've studied it. I have, I've built my own rife equipment. And I've experimented with it and got amazing results. But, um, deep down I know you're a frequency generator. I'm a frequency generator. Paul was a frequency generator. So how do you know what frequency to generate? How do you do it? Well, evidently, I believe that this is part of that power of the Holy Spirit is that God manifests in you the ability to drive out not only diseases, but evil itself. But who do you do it for? Who 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 do you bless? Because Christ didn't bless everybody. He, re- he rejected certain people, you know, because they didn't have that humble heart. They didn't have that humble way. Of Jesus Christ. And uh, that way of coming to serve others. To to kneeling down and washing others' feet. So when you go to church, do you go to church for that good feeling? Or to be of service like Christ was? You know, we talk about that all the time. To practice. Are you just practicing church-anity or your idea about religion? Or are you actually practicing pure religion? What Christ called the way. What the early church called the way. Because that's what Christianity was called. The way. It was different than the way of the world. It was the way of Christ. It operated by that faith, open charity, and perfect law of liberty. It did not operate by force, fear, and violence. Which is the way most Christians take care of the needy of their society. Is by men who exercise force. And compel the offerings of their neighbors so that they can have free education. And somebody will take care of my parents. And somebody will send me a check so I can take care of my grandkids. Because my kids don't take care of their own kids. Because they're all a bunch of bums. And that, which has always amazed me is that, you know, the I knew a couple that had, uh, I think they had like four or five kids. Most of them were bums. They they couldn't stay married to the same person. They they got involved in pornography, or they got involved in uh, drugs, or they. I mean, this one after another was a nightmare story. Every one of their kids, and so several of them had kids that they didn't take care of, uh, or couldn't take care of, or wouldn't take care of. And so the state gave custody to the same grandparents that raised those kids to begin with. (laughs) And you think like, what do they have to recommend them? 
well, they weren't as bad as their kids, but they, but what happened? The, the grandkids that they raised up, they're doing the same things. They're going to jail. They're molesting other young people. They're involved in drugs. All of them. They're just, they're just totally messed up. And, but that's, you know, evil begets evil, produces more evil. If you're going to repent, which is think a different way, that way is completely different than what the rest of the world is doing. It's not like the rest of the world. And what people want to do is they want to go to a church that allows them to, to repent without changing. You can't repent without changing. So anyway, you've you've got to turn around and go the other way. So when I'm I'm you know I, so I've mentioned Acts 19 and Luke 10, and I really haven't finished the study on Luke 10. Although you know as soon as I went there and I started reading, I knew which one they were talking about. And um, somebody else was talking about First Corinthians. Um, let's see, it's First Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, which I could go and take notes and help you go through that and see what they're talking about through First Corinthians 12 through 14. And you, all these things are telling you about the church, but if you're not reading them in the context of the history at that time, and occasionally you need some help with the words because the words they use to translate things. I was doing a study this morning. I was up before this morning doing a study on altars. And in the Hebrew, you see the word altar, and which is the root word is misbeach, mem, uh, a, uh, zayan, uh, biat, uh, chet. But when you actually look at the word in the Hebrew text, there's at least 50 different variations of that same word. Uh, a lot of them end in Tav. A lot of them begin with the letter Hey. All those adding of letters and taking away of letters is changing the meaning. But yet we just see altars. Altars, altars, altars. Same word over and over again. In the Hebrew, it's much richer. It has all these other letters, each one adding a li- different nuance of meaning. You don't know what they're talking about. Because you're just reading altars, 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 altars. But, you know, that really doesn't make any difference if you have the Holy Spirit. But if you had the Holy Spirit, we would see manifest the ways of Christ in you. You would actually be caring for one another. You would be providing for one another. You could you could gather in congregations and you would not be dividing over your opinion. You know, I mean, to me, it's so obvious that the Sabbath is not a day. It's not Saturday. You know, if you count seven days and you start with Sunday, the first day of the week, you're going to end up with the seventh day of the week being Saturday. In most calendars, that's the way it works. I remember once I was in a store and somebody said that, uh, you know, that you you guys are open. They were open on Sunday for half a day and it was a part store. And they said, you guys are open on Sunday or on the Sabbath, he says. I said, today's not the Sabbath. You know, I was just standing there as a customer, but I'm so outspoken. I just, I didn't even know this guy from the man of the moon. And I said, today's, 
not the Sabbath. And he says, yeah, it is. It's Sunday. That's the seventh day. And, and I just pointed to the calendar on the wall there and it says, not on any calendar that I've ever seen. And he looks over and he sees, you know, Sunday's the first day of the week. <laughs> and Saturday is the seventh day of the week on every calendar that he looks at. And almost every calendar, that's the, that's the case. And I said, Sabbath means seventh day. So yesterday was the Sabbath. This is Sunday. And he goes, like, yeah, I never thought that, you know. And of course, we could have pursued with a, a religious argument or dogma. But I, I said, this is, I, I don't really care. I'm just being technical. <laughs> Sabbath means seventh. And this is not the seventh day. This is the first day. But uh, I'm just here for auto parts. <laughs> so, and everybody kind of chuckled. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit outside the box. Well, actually, I came across some people this week that uh, are thinking outside the box. And it's it's a surprising source. It's Democrats, liberal Democrats thinking outside the box. And they they call it uh, the walk away movement, and it's people walking away from the Democratic Party because of the fact that they 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 become disillusioned. They see all this mean spirited hate, uh, you know, twisting of facts coming out of the Democratic Party. You know, somebody one of the one of the guys in the Democratic Party said that we are the ones who you know, got the right to vote for blacks and we got this and we got that. And the reality is the Democrats voted against all those things. <laughs> they were the KKK party. And, uh, but they, they don't know their own history. They, they, and, and it doesn't matter because facts don't matter. It's all about emotions. It's all about stimulation. But hate is a powerful, powerful emotion. And so they, they've been trying to win now on hate, hate Trump. If you hate Trump, that's supposed to give you a political position. And I don't think it's good to hate Trump or Hillary. I think it's good to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But what's happening is some of these people are, are so turned off by what they see that they're actually walking away from the Democratic Party. I don't know that they're all becoming Republicans, but a lot of them are becoming more conservative, let's put it that way. But what the other danger is, what are the conservatives doing? They're still amongst the conservatives. There's a very hawkish, you know, pro-military. Now, I'm not against, you know, the men who go out there and sacrifice their lives for the, their country. That's That's what they think they're doing. I just happen to have this opinion that, uh, based on a lot of information, a lot of facts, and personal knowledge, and personal testimony of people that I actually know and sat down with, that, the, like, I was in the military back in the days of the Vietnam, and Vietnam War was fought for the purposes of stimulating the coal and steel industry in the United States to avoid a recession. There was absolutely no reason to go to war in Vietnam. You know, if we had allied ourselves with Ho Chi Minh and supported Ho Chi Minh's country, 
it would have become one of the most democratic, Americanized countries in Southeast Asia in short order. He was absolutely, totally pro-American, pro-American constitution uh, during World War II. He was trained by American advisors to fight the Japanese during World War II. When he marched into Hanoi the first time, he was marching in with an American flag. But when the French came back and began to oppress his people, he fought against them. And the only ones who would support him was the Chinese. And so the the entire Vietnam War and all those people who died was just fruitless loss of lives. And, and the cost of that war, not only financially, uh, but emotionally and spiritually and virtuously amongst the young people in America, we still haven't seen the full cost of that because it's gone on now for generations. It was it was very demoralizing war for the young people in America. Very dividing. Very confusing. But uh, so today we have young men going into the service to fight for their country and they got all these noble ideas. They have no idea what's really going on behind the scenes. The same as most you know, there were a lot of people against the war, but they didn't know, they didn't really know what the problem was. Some did, probably, but many probably did not. They were just against fighting war. They're probably anti-gun, all these kinds of things. I'm not anti-gun. I'm not anti-army. I'm anti-lie. I'm anti-deception. I'm anti-greed. But I know the way to fight those things is to not be greedy yourself. You don't cast out demons by using demon methods. You cast out demons by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ in your whole heart, mind, and soul. You cure diseases not by, you know, I, I think his diet is really a good thing. I think you, there's a lot of things you could do in your diet to improve your health. But I know ultimately that what it doesn't matter what you eat, it won't poison you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want you to imagine that you're filled with the Holy Spirit so you can go out and eat anything you want. <laughs> I want you to eat with wisdom and uh, and caring. I want you to fast and uh, and pray about what you should eat and what you should do. But if we go back and, and look at uh, Acts 19 as an example, we see miraculous healings going on in those days. So how, how do you get to the point where you have miraculous healings? So we'll take a look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, then maybe we'll even go over and take a look, another look at Luke 10. We'll, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to take a little turn here to look at things differently. In order to learn something different, to think a different way, to receive information that you did not know before. You have to be willing to accept the idea that you might be wrong about what you think you know. That you might be in error. That, that's just a humble position for anybody and everybody uh, to take when they're dealing with uh, their own uh, perception of reality. You could be deceived. You could be completely 
wrong. And, and I remember back when I was 17 years old and I was debating one of my brothers and, and, and I was, and he was thinking that he was doing some soul searching of his own and, uh, and questioning the validity of some of the ideas and beliefs that he had been given and many of which I had been given as we were both growing up. And he was, um, uh, thinking that uh, we had things quite wrong, that we had uh, looked at things uh, from a certain point of view that had been given to us as young people, and that we had uh, accepted it as true, and it wasn't true. It wasn't the case. It wasn't the way that things really are and um we we needed to take a look at those things as if we may have you know that everybody that had been telling us this is true and this is true is this true it simply wasn't true it wasn't the truth it was false it was misinformation and you know i i I've given talks before about it, you know, the the whole Santa Claus thing. When you're little, you believe that there's a Santa Claus. And when you get older, you begin to question that. And uh, you begin to realize that people that you trusted are actually deceiving you. They're kidding you. They're... And I don't, I don't know. It can be a good thing that you realize that you can't accept everything that everybody else says. <laughs> that that's a that's an important uh, revelation to make. And or you can also realize that uh, you know that uh, that you just simply can't trust anything that anybody says. It's just not. Uh, it's not necessarily true because somebody told you it was true. So, how do you know what is true? Ultimately, you're going to be responsible for understanding or accepting the fact that you think this true, this is true, or that is true, and uh, and you've accepted that. But I'm telling you that there's something deep down inside you that is this measuring device whereby which you can tell what is true and what is not true. And, uh, and then you can, but you, in order to tap into that, you have to have this humble heart that tells you that you yourself cannot figure out what is true and, uh, what is not true. You yourself have to come to that that conclusion uh, based on this guiding light that is deep down inside you. And uh, so anyway, that that idea of figuring out what is true and what is not true requires that humble heart. And so if you were to look at the the publican and his prayer, 
You know, two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Well, we do this with those categories of, you know, doctrines that we come to the conclusion of. We have to take the Sabbath off. We have to, we can't eat bacon. We can't do this. Uh, I was trying to think of all the, the myriad of things, you know, you gotta, you gotta be a good Lutheran, a good Methodist, a good Jehovah Witness, a good Catholic, and do whatever, the, you know, they have their own lists of things you need to do and not do, and show up in church and tie to us, and, and on and on, and they make all these rules up. And some of those rules are good rules. You know, certainly, uh, there are some things that you probably should do and should not do. But they're not being imposed upon you by the Holy Spirit, but by your learning their rules. And now, there are many people who left organized religion, organized churches, and they go off, they read the Bible on their own, and they, they are sorely tempted to make up more rules. You know, which is what you see the saying, the, the Pharisee going through saying, you know, certainly it's good that he's not an extortioner. Certainly, it's good that he's not an adulterer. But the reality is that the Pharisees are the ones who set up this system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect, which was actually an adulterous system because you looked to men who called themselves benefactors to exercise authority over your neighbor to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And then the person that was going to force you to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor was the publican, the tax collector. <laughs> He's the guy who's going to come and knock on your door. You know, put, you got time to give. And if you don't give, he'll have you arrested and thrown into jail and your property confiscated and on and on and on. So it's kind of fascinating that the, that the two guys praying, one's a Pharisee and one's a publican. Republican is a tax collector, generally speaking. It's somebody, somehow or other, usually it's related to tax collection. So, what's the deal? Christ is saying, so what, what's actually in the difference of the prayer? One is saying, you know, I, I, I got my checklist and I go down my checklist. And I think I'm better than the other guy. I won't let my daughter date that guy because they, they have a disagreement about the Sabbath. I won't let my son date that girl because she doesn't wear long skirts. Uh, you know, I won't, uh, I, I, I won't let my, 
son date that person because they they raise pigs. And, you know, and the reality is, you go back to the food laws, and we've talked about this a lot of times. People are probably already turning off the radio because I said, okay, you can eat pork now. I think you need to be careful in eating pork, <laughs> how you prepare it, how you eat it, uh, where you get it. Uh, but I could say the same thing about your beef. You know, was it filled with Ralgro and vaccinations before you bought it? Yes, it may not be good for you. So, you you know, if you befriend that farmer, like I said at the beginning of the other show, uh, and you start helping him, investing in his stock, in his farm, you go out there on the weekend uh, and help him out, develop a relationship with him. I mean, you can do this through the, C, uh, what is it, uh, uh, CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture. And uh, you could do it through your congregations. Your congregations could get to know farmers and start developing a whole relationship with the farmers. You know, there's always on a farm, there's times when people need extra help. And you can get to talk to them and says, do you guys ever need extra help? Maybe we all take a, we'll come out here and camp and help you do something. Maybe do a barn raising. Help them build a building. You know, he's a farmer, you know, and let him know what's going on with you. And see, if you form the congregations, you can do that. Your congregation may know uh, rural farmers who live in, uh, you know, in areas where they grow crops. And nowadays, they're actually even growing crops inside cities. There's ways to do that. And uh, and get to know where your sources of food are. Help one another. Find those those organic growers that are trying to produce a good quality crop. Um, you know, I know people that are in the business of distributing, uh, distributing, uh, foods that are produced, uh, everything from essential oils to, uh, grains to, uh, what have you. And I could tell you that. I'll tell you on the network who those people are. And you can develop a relationship with them and develop this other network, uh, that provides the necessities of life. Not through Safeway and what have you. Although you may even find some of those employees and business owners seeking the kingdom of God. The the Christians right away out of the box had to provide not only all their social welfare, but they were often excluded in many other aspects of business. Maybe these guys wouldn't sell. We're seeing this. What was it? Uh, you know, the you had uh, a baker who... Uh, uh, was supposed to decorate a cake and there's another guy who was supposed to make a t-shirt and they were sued and their businesses almost completely destroyed and a florist uh, that was destroyed uh, because people were suing them because they didn't want to provide something for a gay marriage or something. I can't remember exactly what the details were and they they didn't want to do it. They were clearly not hateful people. They were clearly not prejudicial people, but they just had certain moral convictions. And they were set upon by these government do-gooders that almost destroyed their lives and certainly uh, turned uh, their lives over and created all kinds of commotion and expenses for them. But the reality is, is now now you see the, the same group that 
perpetrated that terrible stuff on them is now going after, um, you know, uh, in, in another another way where they're refusing business. They they kicked that one press secretary out of their restaurant and wouldn't serve her family because of her creed, because of her beliefs. She believes that she's doing a good thing by working for the president. That's her choice. But they, because of her creed, because of her belief, they're kicking her out of their restaurant and refusing to serve her. And they're praised. Now you even have congressmen saying, yeah, we have to do this to all of them, harass them. And anybody who has a different opinion than us, we have to attack them and, and attack them in their homes and attack them on the streets and accost them. Yeah, actually, you know, that Maxine Waters is calling for people to do that. I mean, it's just insane. They don't even see how insane that is. They don't see how evil that is. That they, they don't look at things the way, you know, in a righteous way. And they don't know that they don't look at things in a righteous way. So anyway, if you, if you went to Luke's 10, and you started reading down there, he's sending the Sanhedrin, which was actually a political body that did not exercise authority, but had received the Holy Spirit. And if you read our articles on you, that's what Moses was supposed to do, was pick these 70 people. And we see Jesus doing that because Jesus is both priest and high, you know, high priest and king. He's picking 70 people to go out and to bring his image, his way to the rest of society. We should be doing that. But first you have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it is to care about one another because God's not going to hear your prayer until you, until you come to the realization and the acceptance that we have strayed away from the ways of God and we need to go back. The publican knew he was doing wrong or was admitting he was doing wrong. The Sanhedrin, not the Sanhedrin, the Pharisee was trying to justify himself because he had this checklist. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. How many of you are guilty of making that checklist where you won't sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands because somebody sitting down there doesn't match your checklist? Yet, Christ is saying that his brethren are not those who match this checklist. He does have a checklist. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you are you forsaking the gathering together or are you gathering together with the intent of Christ to serve one another? So, you know, there you have it. Are, are, if you're not gathering together, if you're not sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands with the intention of becoming the entire, I'm just talking about the intention. This is, this is your goal of someday, some way, becoming the entire social welfare of those people sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and seeking the ways of Christ. If you're not doing that, if you're, if your personal doctrine, if your private interpretation of the scriptures, which are not given to private interpretation. But if your private interpretation is keeping you from doing what Christ commanded, 
you got a problem. you got a serious problem. You're never going to get to the point where you have a Sanhedrin that is filled with the Holy Spirit that can cast out demons or or take a apron that was they were wearing and send it on to somebody else to lay on them and heal them. What the heck is going on? Why? I mean, that just sounds spooky. But if you go read all of Acts 19, you'll see that reference. Acts 19 talks about, you know, uh, you know, passed through the upper coast and came to Ephesus. I just put up a webpage today on uh, Ephesus, the Council of Ephesus. You know, we already had a page up on the temple at Ephesus, uh, the temple of Diana. And we did a study on that. And we'll be putting up the audios on that. Uh, we have put up some and we'll be putting up more. Because the temple at Ephesus was a bank. And people don't understand that. So they don't understand what the early church was. They don't understand how it worked. Why it was doing that. What what was the job of the ministers? They don't they don't get that. And and the paradigm of it is so different from what they're used to. That when you start talking to them about it. They get this glazed over look. Well wait a minute. I don't, you know because. Because. To tell you what the early church was doing, there's no way to tell you what the early church was doing without exposing the fact that you ain't doing it. That you're not doing what Christ said. You're not a doer of the word. Now, I'm not I'm not condemning your heart because maybe you want to be a doer of the word. Just nobody's ever really told you, you know, like the, the eunuch. How would I know unless somebody told me? Well, somebody mentioned it to him and he could hear it. He could receive it. Then he knew, well, I I, want to be a part of this. And uh, he was a treasurer of of probably vast sums of money. And so now he was going to become a part of that. And I'm sure he was able to do a lot of good and help with what his resources were. But he had to think completely different. So, in Acts 19, it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which uh, should come after him. That's what John was saying. There was someone who was to come after him. Someone who was to take his place. Whose sandals he was not even willing uh, or or worthy to loosen and wash the feet of. That's why you take the sandals off. You loosen them and you wash the feet of. Jesus was the one who came and loosened the sandals of the apostles and washed their feet. And who is he talking to? He's talking to disciples of John the Baptist that were there but did not know Christ. And had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So then he imparts that power of the Holy Spirit in his days there. And including where they took these, these claws or aprons that were at one time worn by Paul 
And he couldn't go, so he just sent that, and he says, lay this on them, and they laid it on them, and people were healed. And supposedly, they always talk about demons cast out. And what what it often is, is that if you entertain, I, I won't go into the details, but if you entertain certain characteristics, attributes, that would be attributes of the selfish, attributes of the judgmental, non-virtuous attributes of society. If you manifest that in your life and judgment and gossip, and, you know, Paul has a whole list that he goes on. There's a checklist you should check on. That, uh, that it, it, and he goes through this whole long list of, you know, backbiters and gossipers and everything. And he says, from such, stay away. Well, how do you keep those characteristics out of you? If you entertain those characteristics in you, you will actually be affected. It can actually affect your health. It can actually affect your well-being. That judgmental attitude. So you have to remove that from you. Well, you can't do that. If you could, you could save yourself. You have to allow God to remove it. In order to allow God to remove it, you have to have this humble heart of the publican who says, I'm a sinner. I'm judgmental. I'm using my private interpretation of the scriptures to divide the congregations of the people. I won't sit down with those people. You know, I wonder how many people. They don't go into it. They don't tell us. But, you know, just think about human nature. you got 5,000 people there. And Jesus is saying to his apostles, make the people sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and in companies of ten, and ranks of fifty, and ranks of one hundred, to the tune of 5,000 people. So, you know, what What are they talking about? That it, and they're telling people to sit down and that. Would, was, is there a possibility that some of the people said, I'm not sitting with him? Okay, well then sit with him. Okay, I'll sit with him, but I'm not going to sit with him. But see, if you're in the ten, you're with the fifty and with the hundred. So now it's put on the apostles. So, you know, I can imagine a network where you have one congregation over here that is meeting on the Sabbath and another one over here that meets on Sunday. Now, which one would you think was right? The one that met on Sabbath or the one that met on Sunday? Well, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But that opinion should not be dividing you. Let me give you a thought here. Sabbath is a day of rest. You were in your home on Sabbath. If you had guests, they were in your home. And it was a day of rest. That's why you see the early church meeting on Sunday. Because that was the first day of the week and that was the day of business. That's right. The early church met on Sunday after the Sabbath, after the day of rest. They got up and they went and they met with others because they had to attend to the daily ministrations the first day of the week. 
They had to attend to the daily ministration. So the church did meet on Sunday. Because they already had Sabbath on Sunday, Saturday. So, but the, the critical thing, is it the day or the way? They received the contributions of the people on Sunday. And then they went out and got bread and rightly divided it from house to house. For the needy of their society. They were doing the same in coats and accommodations and in meats and in bread and whatever. They were helping one another. They were practicing pure religion. They could not do that unless they were sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Because they had no way of doing it. So you could have one congregation that's doing certain things a certain way. Another one doing other things a certain way. And they're wearing certain kind of clothes. And they're, you know... But there's warnings about that. I'm not. I'm not going to impose those warnings about you. I'm just going to speak them. Not to trim the corners of your beard. Not to braid your hair. What? 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 What does that have to do with it? That's. I. That's creating. You're identifying with your congregation because everybody in your congregation, all the women, braid their hair this way. And all the men trim their beard this way. And all the Amish over here have a three inch brim on their hat. And over here have a two and a half inch brim on their hat. And over here they have this kind of suspender. And over here they have that kind of suspender. And you can actually tell what group they're in. By the way in which they wear their clothes, their beard, their hair, etc. But that's divisionary. That's just another form of dividing and creating denominationalism. So, yeah, we're warned against that too. So, are we doing the kingdom thing? You tell me. So, anyway, welcome back. Uh, We're looking a a little bit at this uh, Acts 19, what was going on there. He was in Ephesus. There were some Jews there in Ephesus uh, that... uh, were followers of John the Baptist. They were they were referred to as disciples. Disciples are students. So they were students of John the Baptist. And they were there in Ephesus for what? To preach the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's what John the Baptist was doing. Seek the gospel of the kingdom and his righteousness. And so what, is, what was the key elements of the gospel of the kingdom and his righteousness is that you would receive benefits from a society based on faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. That That's the essence of John's gospel, of getting baptized into a group of people and a network of people that were going to provide for the needs of society through faith, hope, and charity. You have extra coat, share. If you have extra meat, share. It's all about sharing. What was going on in Ephesus at the time? Well, they had the same kind of Corbin, the social welfare system of the state, where you sign up with the temple. The temple, if you fall on hard times and you meet the criteria, the temple will help you out. They will even they will even send relief in the case of a serious depression or difficulty on a community level. They were responsible for individual and collective welfare of the people. That was a quote from scholars concerning the temple at Ephesus. It was also a depository. It was a, a bank depository. It was a underwriter 
for social insurance for over 127 different countries. Now, exactly what those terms were, it's difficult to say. I mean, they're, they're still they're still finding out how they were a treasury and how they were. They, it's pretty conclusive that they were a bank. They had coins there. They minted coins there. We we know all that. Uh, but it, the the social welfare system, they're just more and more coming out about that as historians investigate this. Problem was that a lot of historians, earlier historians, you know, we're talking 1800s, were thinking that, um, you know, the, the presence of bone ash there made it so that they were burning up animals. And then later on, it was discovered that the bone ash was probably used to counterfeit coins, uh, to make a coin look like it was full of gold, but it actually had less gold in it and other base metals in it instead. So anyway, that we've all talked about that and explained all that. But here in Acts uh, 19, they're talking about these disciples who did not know about Christ, had not yet received the Holy Spirit. But Paul, with his laying on of hands, uh, the Holy Spirit came on, on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So somebody was actually thinking that uh, this was the totality of the group that was in the in Ephesus, and they said, "Well, it's such a small group." No, there was a larger group. There were some disciples, and the ones who could receive the Holy Ghost were about twelve, and of course, they were not just about twelve. They were they were a, an order a religious order of uh, men who had been studying under John the Baptist and now had received the Holy Spirit, accepting Christ, and now were able to perform miracles as well and to help people with healings and everything else. Now, he goes on and he says, And he went into the synagogue... And spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Well, now he's going into the synagogue, into the congregations, and he's explaining how the kingdom of God works. And he has these twelve disciples of John the Baptist who have received Christ and the Holy Spirit. They were also out there performing miracles. So a larger and larger community is gathering around these people in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And it says, but when, uh, it, it uses the word here, diverse or hardened. And, uh, you know, I, I looked that up. I can't remember the Greek word on that right now. It probably doesn't really matter. Um, but they, uh, they believed uh, not. Some people had a different opinion. And they began to speak evil of that way, the, the way of Christ, before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one uh, Tyrannus. Now, there's a huge debate as to what this school of one Tyrannus is and what that's all about. And we'll have to go into that later because we just don't have enough time. The, uh, this continued for a space of about two years. 
So there's two years going on here, and lots of people are hearing, wait a minute, we should be operating by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. We should not be compelling the contributions of the people. We should be loving one another. We should be practicing pure religion, taking care of all the social welfare without the free bread of Rome, the free bread of Ephesus, and the free handouts of governments that exercise authority and also depend upon central treasuries, because Christ said a lot about not depending on central treasuries, but upon this network of faith, hope, and charity. But during all this, if you get down to verse 11, he says, And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the disease departed from them. And the evil spirits went out of them. So, those miracles were taking place. And this is all segregated out by at least one paragraph. Explaining this is what was going on. So, there's a lot of people starting to believe. They're seeing this actual power of healing. They're seeing. um, But it started not with the power of healing. It started with understanding what John the Baptist was really talking about. Because the the ones who had been following John the Baptist, this whole charity, faith, open charity thing, they immediately received Christ. And they began to organize their own order, religious order, their 12. And then they go out, and for years they're preaching and gathering more and more congregations that we saw forming at, at the Loads and Fishes and at the at, at Pentecost. But then he starts a paragraph with a certain vagabond Jew, exorcist, took upon, uh, it actually says vagabond Jews, exorcist took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And, but they were, he calls them the vagabond Jews. That these, it, that actually has to do with being separate. Uh, being not with the network of Christ uh, through Paul. You know, remember Paul got, met Christ, rode to Damascus, knocked off his horse, went blind, went back. Eventually a Christian came got to know him, healed him. Then he went off for years to study this whole thing about Christianity. Then he comes back and he is accepted by Peter who says, okay, I get it. Uh, You know, my brother Paul. And and he warns you that Paul's going to talk to you about things that are hard to understand. And so anyway, we see this word, you know, actually the word vagabond shows up a couple of times in the Bible, but we only see it this one place in in Acts. In the other places, I mean, it was an English word. This is in King James. So in other places in the Bible, it's it, it coming from a Hebrew word uh, that we see uh, that uh, it talks about. Uh, it's actually translated remove, vagabond, flee. Uh, it's got all kinds of different uh, bemoans to shake 
waver, wander, move. It has all these different definitions. But uh, the 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 vagabond that we're talking about uh, in uh, this case is uh, a Greek word. And it only shows up, I think, one time. And, no, actually it shows up four times in the Bible. And it means to... Uh, to 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 go about uh, a wanderer also, and and it comes from two different words. You know, it's one of those Greek words that combine more than one word, and it has to do with a a, a person, an individual. Although they're talking about a number of these guys, who um, are not uh, not together with others. You know they're they're going around, but they're not with us. So they're uh, that's that's very important to understand that that it was very important that Christ was from the beginning. He was trying to get people to come together, not forsake to come together, to sit down in these tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Because one of the things that you have to do when you're sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands is that you cannot be dividing one another. By your personal interpretation, your private interpretations of the gospel. Now, obviously, Paul does talk about certain people to not have anything to do with. And that's those, that's those gossipers and backbiters and adulterers and fornicators and all these other kinds of things. But the reality is, is that if we come like the publican, who are focusing not on the fact that I'm better than him because I don't do that, or I'm better than him because I do do this over here, and I tithe and I do this and I do that, and and so I'm better. So you're going to be dividing yourself off. I mean, that Pharisee wouldn't have anything to do with that publican, but the publican comes and says, I'm a sinner. Help me, Lord. Show me the way. You know, have mercy on me. He hadn't quit his job yet. And, and neither did the soldiers when they came to John the Baptist. And, he, and they said, what about us? We can't. We can't get your baptism. You know, because we, we, we have allegiance to this other system. And he says, well, take nothing by force. You know, be content with your wages. Don't take bribes. You know, stay within the law. Don't be abusive. Be a good cop. You know, uh, you know, that he's telling you how to do that and how that works. So anyway, um, these vagabond Jews, they weren't apart. They were separate from what Paul was doing. But yet they tried to do things in the name of Christ, in the name of Paul. And they got a serious, serious wake-up call. <laughs> so anyway, and it says, uh, and there were seven sons of one uh, Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known uh, to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. 
and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. In other words, people realized, wait a minute, we got to do this the way Jesus actually said. So the reality is, is that that's what we have to do to be true Christians. We have to do it the way Jesus said to be. If you're a Christian as a follower of Christ, we have to do this the way Christ said to do it. So it goes on to say, many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, so mightily grew the word of God and the word of God prevailed. So what was that about? What were these arts that they're talking about, that, that they're talking about in Acts 19. Uh, that, and and what, what was actually contained in those books? You know, we, we look at this, uh, these passages, and we read them with preconceived notions of, uh, of how all this fits together. And, uh, you know, what, what, all this means. Now, that's all part of one paragraph where they're talking about dwelling in Ephesus. Fear fell on them all. Well, Ephesus was this particular city-state. And uh, if you haven't followed our studies on Ephesus and what that temple was, I mean, that, that was the big thing in in that uh, in that uh, that area was the temple. The, I mean, all life revolved around that. Um that word curious, arts, is also translated busybody. What the heck? How can you, you know, many of them which use curious arts? Well, how could you put the word busybody? Busy about trifles and neglectful of important matters, especially busy about other folks' affairs. Other folks' affairs, a busybody, or things impertinent and superfluous. And it goes on to say that it has to do with magic arts. But what was all this? And they talk about this price. Uh, the word there is translated price a number of times, but it's also translated honor far more times. So the honor of them, the price of them, what what are they talking about? See, whenever you see these words sliding around their definitions in such a great extent, you will want to take a closer look to find out, you know, what what exactly is the original text all about? Well, you know, and, and we're probably not going to have time to go into it all the way, but... Uh, I just want you to think about those things, you know, that these curious arts, which is also the same word as translated busybody, which has to do with the affairs of other people. What it was, it really, I think, had more to do with not only practices, but because the word they have there for written books is actually the word biblos. Uh, this was their their books, their Bible, but the word is actually translated to mean also rolls and scrolls. And uh, so were they actually just burning up this information and throwing it away? or the, I mean, how was society itself shifting? 
because uh, those 50,000 pieces of silver, was that actually the cost of the books or was it the value that was on the books? Uh, so there's a lot of things to wonder about there. But here, why don't we see enough of this healing today? Why don't we see enough of this laying on of hands and this imparting of the Holy Spirit? Um, what What is really going on in spiritual realms when people are starting to receive the Holy Spirit and and now this this virtue that we see Christ healing other people with is now actually flowing through other people. And what happens if you don't want to receive that virtue? If if you don't want to have anything to do with that virtue, if if and because you're going to have to see that you're a sinner, like like the publican, you're going to have to see that you're wrong, that you you've got problems. You you have unforgiveness problems, you have anger problems, you have judgment problems, you have uh, greed problems, you have uh, all sorts of problems. You're going to have to see those in order to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a process. So now if you get into a congregation and you're looking for an excuse to leave that congregation, why? I mean, obviously you're going to give us the excuse, well, they don't keep the Sabbath. Oh, that guy actually does this wrong and that guy does that wrong. What is that? What they do wrong have to do with your salvation. Christ was going and meeting with prostitutes and publicans along with Samaritans and and Romans and all kinds of other people. Because Christ's virtue was not dependent upon their acceptance. Uh, As a matter of fact, when Christ came in the room, demons ran out the back. They fled before him. So if you're in a congregation, you think there are demons in that congregation, why are they not fleeing? Why are you leaving? What, are you being cast out by demons? Well, if you are, then you probably have demons of your own. Yeah, you're being cast out. You're the one that's fl- fleeing. Why isn't the demon fleeing? Why isn't the evil being cast out? It's because you haven't really come like the publican. You haven't really looked down into the depths of your own soul. You know, you can see the evil in others, but can you see the evil in yourself? I mean, this personal journey into your own soul and heart is absolutely necessary in order to receive the Holy Spirit and the blessings of Christ. The the publican was willing to look at that. I'm a sinner. I need mercy. I am not good. I am not perfect. I am not righteous. And he understood that. And he needed to go. He wanted you. And, and, and he wanted the mercy of God. On his heart and on his mind. So understanding that. And understanding some of these other things. Then you can go and look at. Uh, uh, Demetrius. We talk about that. And the silversmith. And. um and there's a lot of people who question whether or not Demetrius was a silversmith because the word Demetrius means the uh, uh, servant of Artemis. 
And if you go through history you and you find out who all the different heads of the temple at Ephesus were, there were numerous ones who were also called Demetrius, just like there are numerous Caesars. Caesar Augustus, Caesar uh, Tiberius, uh, or Tiberius Caesar, as they would say sometimes. Uh, all these were Caesars. They were called Caesars because that's the title. Uh, Demetrius means the servant of Artemis, and the temple of Diana was the temple of Artemis. So this was probably not a guy named Demetrius, but actually the head financial officer of the World Bank. And he was making accusations. They talk about him being a silversmith, which is a pounder of silver, but the reality is it's, uh, this is the same temple now that they discovered that they were changing the amount of silver and gold in the coins that they were making through the process of using bone ash in order to, to even though the coin was supposed to have a certain value, it was actually it was reverting the amount of precious metals in the coin to less than what normally had been there. And this, of course, is counterfeiting. But it was legally counterfeiting because they were the guys making the coins, and they, but they were deceiving the people. This was a crime. And so were they really pounding silver or were they altering silver and they just used that word? Was he Demetrius the guy or was he the head servant of the Temple of Diana? Uh, was he running the shrine of Diana, which is what the Demetrius normally would be doing? And we go on the page and we tell you some of the other uh, names and titles of those uh, different uh, officials of that temple and what they were doing there. But uh, the point is, what are you doing to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you sitting down and gathering and becoming that social welfare of Christ, following the ways of Christ? People are beginning to question lots of things. Everybody should take this into heart. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.